This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. For years, I was so fed up with shampoo, I just stopped washing my hair. I quit completely. I was so sick of poofy, frizzy, limp hair, distorting my natural oils. Until a few months ago, I found modern mammals and it changed everything. And by the way, right now you can visit modernmammals.com and use code LSS for 10% off. So check that out. So look, I heard about this through the podcast and before I agreed to advertise, they sent it to me and I was reluctant. But let me tell you, I should not have been. This stuff is absolutely magical. My hair felt better, smelled way better, and most importantly, looked better. And I know it will do the same for you as well. It doesn't have those hair-ruining chemicals like other products, and it doesn't leave any leftover residues. It works. Don't believe me? Go read their awesome reviews online as well. Go to ModernMammals.com and use code LSS for 10% off. Again, that's ModernMammals.com for 10% off with promo code LSS. Don't forget to use our promo code LSS so they know we sent you. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Lead Singer Syndrome. I am your host, as always, Shane Told. It is so nice to have you on this fine Tuesday morning. Yes, it's me as usual, but this is not a usual episode of the show. In fact, this week, the only guest is me and a whole bunch of members of the Lead Singer Syndrome All Access Club who have graciously left messages, called in, talked to me, and asked me some questions about a whole bunch of variety of subjects, everything from me talking about when I was in high school, to my band Silverstein, to this podcast, and a whole bunch more. And uh, yeah, this is just a different thing. I think after 168 or whatever episodes it's been, I think it was time to do something a little bit different and People have been asking me for a long time, like, hey, Shane, when is someone going to interview you? And I did have one episode very early on where Paul Mark from Silverstein came over and he he chatted me up. But this is, you know, a bit of a different take. And uh, uh, people ask some very, very, very cool questions. And I think there's a lot of great insight into this as well. As always, before we get into it, you know you can get in touch with me. You can email me, leadsingersyndrome at gmail.com. You can hit me up on all the social media networks and all that stuff. And um, I hope, you know, we can do another episode like this at some point. So, yes, yeah, so get those communication lines going, okay? And uh, uh, this, was, this was fun for me. So, anyway, hey, let's keep it short. Let's just get into it with the first question of this little voicemail bag episode, if you will. With Sam from California. Hey, uh, Shane, this is Sam, your favorite Latino. <laughs> hey, Sam, how's it going? Um, I just uh, had a quick question. Um, your screams have always been very um, consistent, and I, I was just wondering: mm-hmm. have you ever, like, did you ever consider trying doing like a low, like a heavier low, or like higher highs? Or do you just do you think um, where you were, where you were at, um, like is, is like? Well, that's not stupid now because it probably is what you're comfortable with. But yeah, I, I, I was just wondering if you've ever like considered like changing the range to like higher highs, like death metal status, or even lower lows, but yeah, that's my question. Yeah. All right, thank you. 
Yeah, thank you for the question, Sam. Uh, you know, it's funny. I think back in the day when I first started screaming, there wasn't as much uh, in the way of variety. Um, typically, everybody was kind of screaming in sort of a mid to high sort of scream style. And um, the lower stuff, like the lower guttural, like stuff that back then was mostly in death metal, it kind of wasn't cool, <laughs> I guess, in the type of music that, you know, Silverstein and other bands were trying to do. And I remember a conversation I had with somebody about Poison the Well. And Poison the Well is a band I've always loved. And they were like, oh, I just can't get past the vocals. Like, he does that low screaming. And it's funny now, like, looking back, if you listen to Opposite of December or one of those classic Poison the Well records, he doesn't really have a super low voice, you know, compared to bands after that that came out, like maybe like Misery Signals or, or something like that. You know, also a great band. So I think that the goal pretty much for me, first and foremost, was just don't lose your voice so you can still sing. Uh, And yeah, just sort of kind of have this sort of medium, sort of high, higher kind of scream. And I think that that was kind of the goal. And uh, over time, I've tried some other things. Um, A lot of the last few records I've done more of a kind of yell a thing rather than a, a full-on, you know, distorted scream, I guess, um, if you want to call it. So, you know, I've experimented with it over over the years and stuff, and I think I've gotten a lot better. But um, I was never trying to do uh, to. Tr- I was never trying to be super diverse with it. Thank you for the question. Next up, we have Mary Agnes. Hey Shane, this is Mary Agnes from Anchorage, Alaska. Hi, big fan of the podcast and Silver Sea. Thank and you. my question is. Kind of a two-part question. First question is, was it hard to write original songs for the short song album? And the okay. second part would be, would Silverstein consider doing a short songs part two album? Because I think it was a really neat concept and idea, and I really love that album. Okay, thank you so much. Well, thank you. Uh, you know, I love that album, too. And it was <laughs> it was a silly kind of idea, a lot of fun. And we were able to do a bunch of cover songs. You know, the the record for people that don't know was 11 cover songs all under 90 seconds and then 11 originals under 90 seconds. So I think the entire thing clocked in at like only, it was only like 19 minutes long or something. So kind of an EP, a 22 song EP. Um, And it was so much fun. And, And, you know, writing a short song is kind of in some ways a lot more challenging you're right than writing you know a, a traditional three and a half minute song because the structure has to change and you have to you have to do different things to make it interesting you have to repeat sections in a shorter way or you have to make a song flow in a way that the part you're playing is obvious, you know, like, okay, this sounds like a verse. And then the next part, okay, this is definitely a chorus the first time you hear it. So we had some challenges with that record, but I, I really stand behind those songs. And I think looking back now, a lot of people didn't get it. And maybe it's easy to understand why. Um, but growing up how I did and how we did, you know, in the punk rock community you know pretty much every punk record would have one of those songs on it you know like a song that could be anywhere from like 25 seconds to you know a minute and 20 seconds or or something like that and sometimes those songs were my favorite on the album so we took that as a challenge and you know there's actually a couple songs on that record that, that I really like um so uh, I like playing them live too, actually. But as for short songs part two, I don't know. I mean, nothing planned right now. Um, hey, you never know. Maybe one day. Thank you for the question, Mary Agnes. Okay, here is Chelsea on the phone. Hey, Shane. It's Chelsea from Salt Lake City, Utah. Hi. You know I love you. 
Um, so my question <laughs> for you is, how do you feel your podcast is going overall? Love you. Uh, okay. Th- thank you very much. Uh, you know, I think it's going well. Uh, you, I mean, I just never thought going into it, it would be this thing that I would do consistently every week for now over three years. Is that right? It's, it's pretty wild. And, and you know, I, I just think what's been the most rewarding thing for me and something that I don't think I really considered going into it was just the amount of friends and relationships that I've, you know, built from this and just, you know, sometimes, you know, I I call somebody and you're basically cold calling somebody you've never met before. In a lot of cases, you might have an idea of, you know, what their personality is like, you know, based on reputation or based on interviews you've read um, and vice versa, maybe for me, uh, you know, but then once you start talking and sometimes things can get emotional and sometimes things can get, you know, real. And once you, once you have that with people, sometimes that can form a really, really cool connection and a really cool bond. So I've loved that part so much, but of course, all the fans of the show and everybody that's called in like you, Chelsea, uh, all the people in the All Access Club that have supported this, helped kept this thing going, you know, you the real MVP, uh, seriously. And, and the fact that now I can call, you know, so many of you friends and see you guys around and we have this community, that's a beautiful, beautiful thing as well. So I think it's going great. I think I'm getting a lot better uh, at talking to people, at you know, diving in and asking the tough questions when I have to, um, and really, you know, just just uh, making the show informative uh, and interesting for uh, everybody listening uh, to it. Uh, maybe even this week will be informative and interesting, but uh, I don't know. I'm 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 here solo, so um, yeah. Thanks. Thank you for the for the question, Chelsea. Hey Shane, Mark from Phoenix, Arizona. No bitching, whining. Hey Mark. Just a quick question. Now that you're a recent homeowner, has that changed your desire to go on tour for extended periods to be away from your home? Hope you're having a great day. Talk to you soon. Thank you very much, Mark. Um, That's an interesting question, you know? Yeah, I did did buy a house recently, and, uh, you know, I don't know how much it's really, really changed that desire. I think um, I've always been... The kind of guy that when I sit around for too long, you know, whether it's a home I own or a home that I've been renting, you know, a condo or whatever in downtown Toronto, uh, you know, I, I think I still, after I'm sitting around for like, whether it's a month or two or three, I start getting that that itch like, I got to get out of here. I got to get back on the road because um, that's just how I've lived my life for so long and, and as much as... I do feel really great about having this sort of place that's mine that I'm doing the work on and I have like, you know, I'm sitting in this this room that's, you know, my office, my studio and I have all that and I love that. I mean, I still love to go travel all over the world and play shows and see unique cities and live that culture and, and you know, I think that that's something that I'll always I always have that fire burning inside me. So um, I know you sent me some lovely gifts, some housewarming gifts, Mark, which was really sweet of you. Um, And oh, I'm getting great use out of them, believe me, especially those scotch glasses. Um, But uh, (laughs) but, uh, yeah, man, uh, I'm not going to be slowing down anytime soon, that's for sure. All right, what do we got next? Hey, Shane, this is Gino. Um, you probably know me best Hi, Gino. as Gino Ross from the All Access Club. Um, I yes. have two questions I really want to ask you. Um, the first okay. question is, have you ever had a past interview where, the, where you had a topic or a question that you wanted to bring up to them, but you didn't because mm-hmm. either you didn't have enough time or you forgot? And if so, who was the person and what was the topic or question? 
Um, my second okay. question I want to ask you is if you could choose any musical artist from past or present to interview, who would you choose and why? And if you have multiple answers for both of these questions, lay okay. it on me. I really would love to hear it. Um, hope okay. your day is going well, and uh, thank you so much for doing yes, this. Thanks. Just, uh, looking forward to hearing the answers. Bye, and have a good day. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Gino. Uh, yeah, a lot there. Um, no, I, you know, I, I, the, the answer that comes to mind, your second question about uh, who I would like to interview, I think it would be Paul McCartney would be, uh, the number one guy, you know, I'm a huge Beatles fan. Um, he's someone that's just seen it all. And he also just seems like such a hell of a nice guy, doesn't he? Like he, I think he would just be such a sweetheart. Um, you know, I, I I don't know. I mean, that's that's uh, that's one that I'm sure would be a very um, very difficult to procure. But uh, but yeah, I'm I'm gonna go with Paul McCartney for that one, or maybe James Hetfield because that would be just badass. Um, and as for asking, you know, questions that I either either forgot to ask, which sure that's happened. I've there's been. I talk to some someone sometimes for over an hour, and then once we hang up, I'm like, "Oh yeah, I should ask that," you know. But it's incredible with some people how you can talk in a long term, sorry, a long form interview like I do, and you can still not get to everything. People have had such long careers, or some people just speak very in a very long winded way about um, the things that have happened to them. So um, it, it does happen all the time. And there's also been subjects and topics that I haven't wanted to, you know, breach uh, for whatever reason. Uh, you know, sometimes it's, it's out, of, out of respect. Um, sometimes they've talked about it till they're blue in the face, uh, you know, in other interviews and stuff. And it's like, I just feel like I don't need to bring it up again, you know, but I, but I do really try to do my due diligence uh, with, you know, giving people, the listeners, you guys, you know, being able to put a spin on something or being able to get an answer out of somebody that is the real answer. And I think maybe part of it is because we can relate in that we're both lead singers and that we both do similar things and that we've both walked in a lot of the same shoes. I think that people trust me and I think that they know they can't bullshit me. Uh, so I, I do really try hard to, to get sometimes those non cliche answers that I think sometimes people in interviews think they can kind of pass off and get away with, but maybe with me, they know they can't. Thank you very much, Gino, for the question. Okay, we got a bunch more. Maybe I'm a little bit too long-winded with these answers, but hey, let's just keep it going. Here is Melissa from Edmonton. Hi, Melissa. Hey, Shane. Hope you've been well. Love the podcast. Yeah. It's honestly been life-changing. Not only has it introduced me to some of my favorite artists or bands, through the All Access Club, I've met some of the most incredible people from all over the world. So thank Love you. That. My question thank for you. you is, with the depth and honesty in some of the conversations, have you ever been caught off guard with the responses or stories a guest will share? Thanks so much. Take care. Thank you. Thank you, Melissa. Um, yeah, hell yeah, I have. I mean, like, I'm trying to think of specifics, but, you know, there's I've gone through entire interviews where I've said kind of let try to lead the guest into a certain certain thing because I thought that it was the way it was and they've been like every after every uh, uh, question they'd be like no not really and I was like completely off you know from from the whole basis of the conversation and then you know certain things have just you know totally blown my mind um you know, whether it was Kurt Travis uh, the other week uh, talking about his father um, being, you know, like the, the gymnast that Family Guy made fun of, like things like that. I'm like, what? Like, you know, that's something he's literally, I think, never even talked about in an interview before. So I'm constantly amazed and entertained uh, by the things that, that people have told me 
and trusted me with um, and trusted, I guess, you guys with too in some ways. So it's it's been really, really cool. And, and I love that stuff, especially when something comes out that's really, really unexpected. So, And thank you for the very kind words, Melissa. Really do appreciate that as well. Hey, hello? gang, this is Dalvin Garth out of Arizona. Call him to say, what is up? Where is the new River Oaks? I need more River uh-huh. Oaks. Now. Right now. Now. Okay. Okay, man. Wow. Wow. Uh, chill. Um, you're breaking up there, but yeah. So River Oaks, um, it's coming, man. It's coming. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm a notoriously slow writer and I mean, it, it just makes sense if you think about it, you know, I, I only write about four songs maybe per Silverstein album, something like that, four or five songs at the most. And we put an album every two years. So I pretty much only write two songs a year. So if you're waiting on a full length River Oaks record, 10 songs, then what's that going to take me? Like five years to write it. So I think I'm on pace for that right now. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, I, I, seriously, I, I, I'm, in, I'm working on it. Um, I do really take a lot of pride and care in, in crafting these songs to be something special and something that, you know, I'm putting my name and my name only on. Uh, so I want them to be the best they can be. And um, I'm really proud of that three song EP that I did. I think it, it holds up real well and um, I'm really, really stoked on it. So I'm trying to make sure that the level of quality that I'm writing and things I'm coming up with is is right there with those uh, three songs on that EP. So uh, glad you're anxiously awaiting it. I hope that I can have some news for y'all real soon. Thank you for the question. Hey, Shane. This is Colin from Nebraska. I started listening when the first episode was released. I was wondering, what are some things you've learned from guests of the show that you've utilized in your own work? It could be songwriting or singing techniques, anything of that sort. For me, it was Gummy Bear Tea. It's worked wonders, and I constantly am recommending it for others. Thanks again, Shane. Thank you. Uh, yeah, uh, so many things all the time. Um, I mean, yeah, I, I mentioned earlier how much the relationships and the friendships have you know meant to me, but there's also been so many things I've learned, and I've actually never tried the gummy bear tea. I know so many, there was like a, a month or two where it seemed like every guest was talking about, you know, that and, and some of the other vocal, you know, uh, remedies that, that they were doing and the concoctions and everything. Um, you know, I think what has helped me the most or what I've taken the most, taken away the most from, from this has been just how similar we all as lead singers think and feel and kind of what makes us tick and how similar we all are. And in that way, it really has made me feel not alone, if that makes any sense. I think just knowing that the way that I feel and think in certain situations when maybe things aren't going so well, I'm not the only lead singer that's felt that way and uh you know whether it's a confidence thing or whether it's you know you're sick on tour and you can't sing or or you have some level of writer's block or whatever it is I think that that solidarity and that um you know uh common ground that that I've I've had with with so many of the singers uh that we've had on the show I think that that's really, really meant a lot. So more than any specific thing, I think just that overall has really been uh, has really been it. Thank you very much, Colin from Nebraska. All right, on to the next one. Hey Shane, Ted Fitzgerald here from Hello. Massachusetts. Um, What's up, man? Wondering if maybe you could share some stories about what your favorite or least favorite venues are and why they're your favorite or least favorite. I think that'd be pretty cool. Okay. So 
But yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure if everybody listening to this is going to know uh, all the music venues across, you know, their, the country or across the world. Um, but I, I got some, I can give you some some picks for sure. Um, maybe I'll even mention your city in this. Well, m- one venue that comes to mind right away is the Norva in Norfolk, Virginia. And, you know... Norfolk, Virginia is not an A market. It isn't a place that it isn't New York City or L.A. or Chicago or anywhere like that. It's you know a mid-sized to small market, but they really know how to uh, take care of the bands there, uh, including uh, this amazing hot tub and sauna and entertainment room and like really good catering. Then there's the support dressing room that has pool tables and ping pong tables and arcade machines. And there's a basketball court upstairs. And it really is just like you walk in there and it's like, okay, today is going to be like a fun as hell day. And uh, I think the first time we played there was like back in 2004 when, you know, we're still touring in a van and most of the venues like don't even have a shower, let alone, you know, all these other amenities. So that's a place that's near and dear to my heart for sure. Um, you know, and then there's other venues too that even though we go to them all the time, they just feel like a second home. And, uh, you know, I think the house of blues in Anaheim, the old one and the new one are both amazing venues. Uh, Fillmore in Philadelphia. That is an absolutely beautiful room. Uh, PlayStation Theater or Nokia Theater it used to be called or Best Buy Theater. I don't know. They've always changed the name of it. That's a very, very awesome venue right in Times Square in New York. Uh, oh, man. I'm, I'm going to be missing out on so many other venues. Um, but, I mean, I'm going to throw one back to my hometown of Toronto. The Opera House is a venue that's legendary for me, and I love playing there because... I grew up seeing all my favorite bands there and that place has been, I don't know how long it's been open. It's largely unchanged uh, other than a few, you know, uh, updates to the balcony and stuff. But, uh, but that is, is, is absolutely incredible. And um, as for least favorite venues, I really don't want to talk too much shit because, you know, even the worst venues, they have, even the worst venues are letting punk bands in to play music and that's awesome you know and like if it's cbgb where it's like you use that bathroom you're crazy you know not my favorite venue ever um or gabe's oasis in iowa which was also that was a rough rough place in a lot of ways the load in up the icy stairs and again the, the I don't even think the bathroom light turned on you know it had it it had its flaws but at the end of the day anytime you're in a venue and you're able to just let it rip and have a good have a good time and people are able to come out and see live music I am totally all for that so uh thank you for the question and uh yeah appreciate that one Okay, let's keep it going. Steve. Hey, Shane. This is Steve out of Baltimore. And I actually had two quick questions about touring. I was wondering uh, sure. if there was ever a tour that you were skeptical or, oh, sorry, skeptical about that uh, mm-hmm. you didn't think was going to go well or wasn't sure about the bands going on. and actually turned out to be like a good tour, like pretty cool. And also, was there ever a tour where you guys almost had to drop off because of like, uh, like a band malfunctioning or just not, nothing going right. well? Uh, yeah, just, that's pretty much it. I uh, love the pod. Keep it going. See you guys. Thank you, Steve. Um, yeah, I, I mean, you know, I, I think the, the the tour that comes to mind first and foremost was the tour we did with Good Charlotte across Canada, and that was one that um, we were really split on as a band on whether we should do it or not, and no disrespect to Good Charlotte, and I have so much respect for what they've done as a band over so many years and, and what they've, you know, they've paved the way for so much, um, you know, in, in the scene, especially now with what they're doing with the management company and everything. But we just didn't know if what our band does, what Silverstein does, like really made sense with Good Charlotte and if it really was going to connect to 
their fans that are coming out to see them. Um, and also, you know, Canada is a real tough country to tour. It's a long way between cities. And since we live on the east, you know, the, not the east coast, but the eastern part of Canada, you know, it started like in Vancouver on the west coast. So we had to get there and... You know, it was kind of a whole thing, and and I think we were really split on whether we should do it or not, and we ended up doing it, and, uh, you know, I'd say the takeaway from it was probably more than I expected, but I think less than the other guys that wanted to do it, you know, expected at the same time, but one thing that worked out pretty well for me was I met my uh, current girlfriend on that tour, and uh, if it wasn't for good Charlotte, we would have never met. So, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll give a shout out to, to the Madden brothers for that one, for, uh, for somehow hooking that up for me. Um, absolutely. And, uh, as for, what was the other part of your question? Oh, van trouble. Um, yeah, you know, we had our fair share of, uh, of breakdowns back when we had our first van. It was a 1996 Dodge Ram. It was kind of like I always thought it was purple, but then everyone called it blue. I don't know. I'll have to look at pictures. I remember it being purple, and it wasn't a great van. I traded my car in for it, and my dad helped me out with the extra the extra cash, and um, it wasn't it wasn't the extended model like with the you know fifteen passenger or the twelve passenger. This was like the eight passenger model, so we didn't have a lot of room. Uh, our first tour, we didn't even have have a trailer or anything, so. We just had our gear packed in there with us. And uh, a couple things. Well, the first thing was not only did the van not have air conditioning, but the heat was permanently stuck on. So no matter what you did, if, if even if you had it on the lowest setting, it was still blowing hot air. And there was this, like, I guess like a block heater kind of thing in the back under the one seat. But it was like... If you sat there against the window, like your leg would touch it, and, and it was so hot, it would burn you. Um, our our um, merch guy literally cooked a grilled cheese sandwich on it one day. Uh, so yeah, that that van was was rough, and and I remember we had a breakdown. It was a transmission breakdown in St. Louis. We didn't want to miss any shows. We were headlining, so we rode with Alexis on fire. And Emery and the hire, and we split up members. And then Josh and Paul flew across the country to pick up our van and drive it from St. Louis to Sacramento, California, literally straight, like only stopping to get gas, um, just switching shifts. Well, one person slept and the other one drove just so we could make the show. There's that story. And then there's another great story. We were on tour with Hot Water Music, and we were driving from... I guess it was from somewhere in Michigan and we had to get up to Milwaukee. So we were in Indiana and we had a problem with our van's uh, catalytic converter and it was like it had no power at all. So we, I guess once we found out it was the catalytic converter, it's like super dangerous to drive on it, even though you could kind of drive. So we said, okay, well, we're, we're going to have to miss the show in Milwaukee and we stopped at a uh, Holiday Inn Express, it was, and we checked into the hotel, and you know, um, we were feeling a little bummed out because we were going to miss the show. And the hotel says, "Yep, uh, this is your room number, and um, just so you know, we have a complimentary open bar in the lobby." Well, like, uh, open bar? Oh yes, yes, complimentary food and drinks. <laughs> and we we were like, "Oh my god, this is not the thing you want to tell." you know, a bunch of 21, 22, 23 year olds, um, you know, that, that don't have to play a show that night. So I remember we had a poker set and we were playing poker in this room, uh, well getting free drinks and, uh, yeah, we, we, we drank them dry and they had to cut us off, but that was a good time. That was a good time, a bad time that turned into a good time. Hey Shane, it's Alyssa Lowe, Grundy Center, Iowa. Hi Alyssa. My question is, you guys have quite a few albums from Silverstein now. What is the mm-hmm. most difficult part of writing each album? Um, you can start at the beginning uh, okay. and then go to Dead Reflection. What was the most okay. difficult part of writing each album? See you later. All right. Yes. Yeah, see you later. Uh, wow. Well, 
this is going to take me like an hour or two <laughs> explain each album. Um, but I, I'll talk about maybe the first and the last, you know, just in some of the differences. You know, I think um, every album is different and every album, it doesn't get easier to make records. I'll say that. It, it, it isn't the kind of thing where you get better at it and then it's it just comes easier and easier. You get better at the process. You know, I think we're better performers than we were. Uh, you know, generally speaking, to nail that drum part or nail that vocal harmony, it takes less takes than it did at the beginning. But once you're on album eight, which we were, on, we were just on, there's a lot of things you've done before. And you have to really dig deep writing-wise, I think, to kind of break new ground. And you have to really push yourself. And I think the reason that a lot of bands, they tend to get worse. Um, and some bands, it gets it gets quite a lot worse as they age. I think it's because they don't put in that time. And you have to put in more, more time with every record and more work. And I think with Dead Reflection, our latest album, the challenge for me was just where I was uh, personally um, in my life. I was... I was deeply depressed. I was probably in the worst place personally that I'd ever been. And, uh, you know, it's one thing to say, oh, well, I have so much to write about because I I, I had all this, this, this stuff inside I need to get out. But it was like, you know, the practicality of it is that when you're that depressed and off and you 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 know your your mind is just not there you know so i think i think it was really for me it was just kind of trying to pull myself out of that funk and being able to have motivation to work cuz I, I you know i just didn't feel like doing anything and despite having things i wanted to get off my chest and and things to talk about i just physically didn't feel like doing anything so that was tough you know and I think when you go back to our first album to to make a, a drastic comparison, a lot of the songs had already been written. Um, a lot of the stuff had already been kind of figured out how it was all going to go. And we'd mapped out every lead guitar part and every drum fill and everything was going to be just how it was going to be. And it was more about the performances and more about making that record sound as good as we could make it sound at the time. Um, and then, you know, just kind of hoping that whatever we were going to do was going to resonate with people. And to the truth is we didn't know. Um, but yeah, I mean, every record has its own set of, of issues and problems. And if you're writing a concept record, it's, you know, usually much more involved in that way, which we've done. But, uh, yeah, it, it's hard. It, I could go through each one, but we'd be here all night. So maybe, uh, maybe if you run into me in person uh, sometime in in Grundy City, Grundy Center, Iowa, we can talk about it again, Alyssa. Thank you very much for the question. All right, who do we have next? Hello. Hi, it's Artem Kalarash. Uh I'm from originally from Ukraine, Bravo, Moldova, moved to Texas about seven years ago. In a better podcast, I always was wondering, because okay. you're from Canada, and it's a country with, like, two languages, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Do you have any, like, tensions in between in between people who speak more French than uh, English? Do they feel like they're better? <laughs> also, do you know a few languages because of that? Or you grew up in the part that speaks most English? Yeah. And also... Coming from this question, have you ever thought about recording a song in different language okay. or something, making a cover or translating a song? Or is there a band that sings in like not an English language that you really like and yeah. have no idea what to sing about? Oh, yeah. Thank you. Hope you have a good day. Hey, thank you. Thank you very much. Wow, yes. The tensions between French Canadians and English, English Canadians. They're mad that we, we have poutine now. Um, no, I mean... I think there's some tension. I mean, the biggest, I guess, like if we're being serious here about it, was there's tension between the separatists in Quebec. There are people that want Quebec to be separate um, from the rest of Canada. And 
there's a lot of people in Quebec that don't believe that too. So there's some, you know, political um, agendas and, and things like that. But I think for a majority of us, we recognize that we have kind of an interesting situation in Canada. And I think we have a lot of respect for, for each other, um, even if we do kind of make fun of each other sometimes. But I am from English part of Canada, Toronto area, and I don't speak French. I We learn it in school um, starting at about the fourth grade, and then they only make you take it until the ninth grade. I think I took it to the tenth grade. And uh, so you, you don't really get much out of it, especially when you're not practicing it. And I even have family in France. Uh, I really, you know, should know more French than I do. But the one thing is like, because in Canada, all of our food has to have labels in both English and French. So I'm really good with food. So if you name a food in English, I can probably tell you what it is in French. Um, as for your other questions about uh, doing a song in another language, definitely thought about it. Um, you know, I, I think it's I think it's cool as long as it, it, it makes sense and it's real. I think like if it's just to try to gain a couple extra fans in a certain country or something and it's not, there's no real meaning behind it, then I think it's kind of lame. But um, I'm not against it, especially maybe if it's you're collaborating with an artist from that country, something like that. That could be, that could definitely be a cool uh, scenario. And what was your other question? Oh, yes. Are there any bands that I like that sing in other languages? And there are, there are there's two uh, I can think of off the top of my head. The first is this punk band from Germany called Wizzo, uh, who I guess they st- they might still exist. I think they do. They still play shows, but they were a, a 90s punk band and they put out an album or two on Fat Records. And yeah, they just full on sing in German. They sing some songs in English, but mostly German. And I just always loved that band. It didn't matter really what they were saying it was just about the attitude and the delivery uh, of the band and uh, another band that i really like that has that has to be in different language is a band from japan called envy and uh, a lot of people know them uh, from a split they did with thursday it's a great split by the way but uh they're such a cool band because I guess they're I guess you'd call them like a post hardcore band or a screamo band but like a actual screamo band you know the influence from more from the early 2000s and the 90s um but they don't really sing it's all kind of like spoken parts in Japanese and then screaming but the music is is just it's really beautiful a really beautiful band and and um that's just two artists that that I I loved you know despite really having no connection to to their their lyrical um uh lyrics at all really um but uh yes but thank you for the question and and uh and uh, uh yes and I, I i'm sorry to any quebecers listening to this if i've uh said anything to offend you but yeah i uh i do love you and i do love poutine okay all right i think we got a couple more here and then we're gonna wrap it up Thank you for bearing with me this week. I hope uh, I hope you're enjoying it. Who is next? Hello. Hey Shane, how's it going, man? It's your boy. Good, Clubber. man. Um, hello. I had Clubber. a question. What's the funniest school memory that you can think of? Oh, school memory. Um, what about funniest? Uh, you know, a couple horrifying things <laughs> happened. To be honest, uh, one of the most horrifying things. I was in uh, grade nine and, you know, I feel like grade nine, it's like a real tough year for just about everybody because, you know, you're in the smaller school and you kind of know everybody and then all of a sudden you're in high school and you don't know anybody, (laughs) you know, maybe a couple people from your old, old school and then there's all these older people and like some of them have like fucking beards and shit, you know, I mean, it's like, it's, it's quite an adjustment. And, you know, you're at that age when there's girls around and maybe you're starting to be a little more interested in, in you know, in the opposite sex or, or whatever. And 
Well, so we had a, a gym class, which was, you know, the guys had their gym class and the girls had their gym class. Well, on this day, uh, we, we had them, them both together and we were going to have this game of volleyball, uh, the guys versus the girls, I think, or maybe we, maybe we split up the teams. I, I don't remember, but anyways, we're all there together. So it was my turn to serve the volleyball. So I'm, you know standing there everyone's looking at me because you look at the guy serving the ball that's you know what you do when you're playing volleyball so I I throw the ball up and I go to to hit the ball and then I you know so both my arms are up in the air and then I realize someone has pulled down my shorts and uh well they were pulled down and they didn't just get my shorts they got my boxers too so there I am, uh, you know, 14 years old, uh, exposing <laughs> myself to my entire class. Um, that was horrible. And um, the girl who pulled my pants down was uh, pretty mortified too, I guess. Uh, she didn't get into any trouble though. I think she should have gotten in some trouble for that. She, they just kind of laughed and then, uh, yeah, and that was, that was pretty miserable uh, for a while. Um, but yeah, so I don't know if that's funniest or, or most uh, traumatizing story of of being in school, but uh, but but there you have it. All right, who we got next? Hello. Hey Shane, how's it going, dude? Hey man, good. Yeah, I'm a big fan of your show, but I was wondering if you guys mm-hmm. had like some type of group that I can join where I uh, can, you know, talk to like-minded people, talk about music. <laughs> And get, you know, maybe some bonus episodes thrown in there, oh. too. So, yeah, let me know if you have, like, any type of resources I can, you know, pay for. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, funny you should ask. Um, Jeez, man. Like-minded people. You could talk about music and join a club. And for maybe for as little as $6 a month, you can join the All Access Club. Look at that. That was not planned, but... Look at this guy just making the uh, making the ads for me. This shit just writes itself. That's that's amazing. Yes, but seriously, do check out the Lead Singer Syndrome All Access Club for as little as six dollars a month. It gets you in. Like minded individuals talking about music, talking about all kinds of things. We have meetups all over the world. It's fantastic. Leadsingersyndrome.com slash all access. Thank you very much for that question. All right, we got just a couple more. Shane, um, I saw your post in the group urging us to ask a question, so here you go. Okay. Here is my question. Um, I am wondering, what is your favorite style of beers? And no, Takate is not a style, so <laughs> um, you got you, you got to give us a an actual style of beer that you like. Okay. Anyways, love the show. Thanks. Keep it up. And love your band. Love, love your music. Anyways, I'm done. <laughs> yes, yes, you're done. <laughs> Thank you, man. Uh, no, Tecate is not a style of beer, but it is delicious. Uh, I guess if I had to pick a, a style of beer, I, I, like, um, I like either like an American Pale Ale, APA, or an IPA. Um, but I got to say over the last few years, I think I've turned into a bit of a snob with it to where if it's just kind of like a, well, I don't want to call it a bad IPA, but even if it's an average IPA, I'd kind of almost just rather drink a Tecate. I don't really know what happened because before I was like, Oh God, I don't want this like light, you know, this light style beer. I need like a a real, real beer was kind of my, my mentality. But now like, unless it's, really good IPA or pale ale, which I, I mean, if it is, it's, that's awesome. And I love that, that I'm all on board for that. But, uh, if it's like super going to be super malty or it's going to have just like a lot of alcohol in it and not really much else going on. Um, I don't necessarily prefer to drink it, uh, over let's say like a Miller light. So yeah, so that's kind of where I'm at with my beer. Um, but at the same time, anybody that knows me, I would say knows that I've never met a drink that I didn't like. So uh, there you have it. Thank you for the beer question. 
Uh, next up, we have Stephen, who is originally from Chicago and now lives in Arizona. Hi, Stephen. Hi, Shane. Uh, this is Stephen, just calling to ask my question, which is, I'm sure, wondering if you can tell me anything about the making of This Is How the Wind Shifts, just what you can tell okay. me about the making of that album and give me a little reflection on it, how you feel about it now, sure. some tidbits about the individual songs, who wrote what, how they okay. have held up over the, what is it, five, six years now, actually, that since it's been out. Thanks so much. Six years, yeah. Wow, yes, it... You know, I, I got to say, I think um, This How the Wind Shifts is probably my favorite Silverstein album. Um, I think Dead Reflection is a very close second. Um, but there's some something kind of magical about This is How the Wind Shifts. And I think it really was in the way that record came together. And, you know, we had um, our only member change in our band right before that. Um, with Neil not being in the band anymore, and um, originally we were just going to write the song, the songs, write that album, the four of us, and we had written like what songs had, had we had some ideas for. I mean, to live and to lose, that was a song that had some parts written for it, and most most of the way done. Um, Massachusetts was a song that I had some of the parts for, and California. Um, but we knew ultimately that we were going to have to get a new guitar player. Uh, you know, we, we weren't going to be a four-piece band on the road. So we thought, well, hey, you know, the writing is going well, but maybe we can bring in a couple people to, you know, sort of audition for our guitar player and, you know, see kind of what ideas and, and how we gel, you know, writing songs together. So we had a kind of a short list of some guys we we knew and that we we had you know either been in other bands or or whatever uh kind of from from all over the place but the first guy on our list was um from our hometown of Burlington Ontario and his name is Paul Mark so it was really easy for him you know just to uh drive 15 minutes to jam with us. So we did that. And the first day, uh, he walked in the, the practice space and, you know, we know him really well. Like he was our guitar tech for a while and he did merch for us. And, you know, he's one of our best friends. So there was no, no awkwardness. And he came in and he said, Hey, I, I don't want to, I'm not trying to overstep, you know, my bounds here, but I, you know, it was just, it was just kind of like messing around last night. And I, I, well, I wrote a Silverstein song. <laughs> and we were like, oh, okay. So, you know, it was just it was just music. It wasn't didn't have any vocals or, or anything, but it was, you know, the music and it was demoed with a, you know, some program drums and stuff. And it was the song that ended up being Standing in the Roar, which is the first song on that album. So it was pretty crazy, you know, him just coming in and having that uh having that piece of music that he just said, Hey, I think this is I think this is a cool sort of direction that your sound could go in. And, um, I mean that, that was the mark I think of, of kind of our new, um, era, I guess with, with him. And since that we've made two other records that I really, I'm really proud of. And probably my three rec three favorite records were, uh, the ones that we wrote with him. So that was a big part of it. Uh, the other crazy thing, that happened on that album, which um, was my idea. And, you know, we had this idea of, of, well, the whole concept of the album is you have the side A, which is sort of the the, the story of, of each song. And then on side B, there's a paired track, which is sort of the alternate version. And the titles reflect that. And, and, um, and that's, you know, kind of the, the whole, the whole point of it. Well, what I wanted to do was I wanted to have this one song that's called This Is How and the other song called The Wind Shifts. And I wanted them to be able to be played over top of one another so that when so that they hold up on their own. But then when they were played together, they would kind of form like a, a third song, you know, together. And <laughs> the guys in the band thought I was out of my 
tree. Like they thought it was a completely crazy idea. It would never work and whatever. And I, I said, well, yeah, no, I'll put like, I'm going to put one in like D major and I'm going to put one in B minor. And that's like the relative minor of D and, and they're just looking at me like I have three heads. And, uh, I said, "Hey, like let me like just let me try this. Like, you know, let me do it." And I made a demo and I really went experimental with it and I had even crazier ideas. And then we sat down and I said, they didn't get it. And I said, "Okay, okay. I'll let, let me just try something a little more simple." And that's how the title track, I guess, the title tracks, the Zelwin shift uh shifts came about and um Another cool tidbit about that album was the song Arrivals, which, uh, as you know, Paul Mark sings on it. And, uh, you know, a lot of people were kind of taken aback when it was like, oh, this new guy that's in your band, his first, you know, album, he's performing lead vocals, you know, and this is your your fifth album. Well, how it came about was we were just kind of warming up at band practice and he was playing that that progression, that da 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 and he was playing it, and I was like, what is that? I, I like that. And he's like, oh, actually, I, I wrote this little kind of ditty last night, um, and he had on his phone a voice note of it, and he he just played me the voice note, and I said, that's, like, great. Like, like let's use that. And he's like, oh, I don't know. Like, you know, it's like it's like kind of a personal song, and I, I, I don't know if I'm, like, comfortable using it for this. And I was like, well, I, I don't want to sing it. Like, you should sing it. And um, what was cool about it was not only was that a cool little piece in the middle of the record, but we were able to make that song Arrivals and turn it into um, Departures, which was the you know second half of that where I sing and um, really kind of tell a cool, unique story that I think was, was really an important um, closer in that record because originally that record, the closer was going to be some version of the song Toronto, which ended up being on the next album. Um, I had kind of the music written for that, but no no real vocal ideas. And then I'd said, okay, I'll sit on this one and we'll do this Departures song as the closing track. And I'm very glad we did because Toronto needed a little more time uh, for the next album. Okay, there we go. So there it is about This Is How the Wind Shifts. Okay, we have Brian from New Jersey. Hello, Brian. Hey, Shane. My name's Brian. Big, big fan of the show. I really think you should get the vocalists of Ruminate on the show. They're a hot <laughs> young band from New Jersey. They are I hot. think it'd be a great time. So my question for you today is, if you were sailing on a boat and you discovered okay. a new land, like Christopher Columbus style, oh. what three lead singers would you bring with you? Peace and love. Oh, uh, thank you, Brian. Yeah, no, uh, sweet plug there for Ruminate. Yes, everybody check out New Jersey-based band Ruminate. Uh, well, first of all, uh, the Columbus Columbus has got to go, okay? Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know about that guy. I think uh, there's been some information that's come out, and maybe we need to, uh, you know, maybe not be representing Columbus too hard there. Uh, as for, you know, the three lead singers... Whew. I don't know, man. I think you got to have Adele, obviously. I mean, who's better than Adele? And, and you know, she's got to be singing the sad songs. I mean, if you're on a desert island or whatever alone, I think you're going to need you're going to be pretty sad. So, definitely Adele. Um maybe Elton John? I mean, like just why not, you know? Uh, and then I think we got to have somebody with a little, uh, a little grit, maybe a bit, a bit of a wild card. I'm going to go with, um, Tom Mariah of Slayer. How about that? How about those three people on a deserted island? That would be, that would be pretty cool. Oh, and me. Well, maybe I have to rethink this answer. Anyways, yes. Uh, thank you very much for the hypothetical question, Brian, and, uh, good luck with the band, of course. Well, I think we've finally got to the end of this, and uh, thank you very much for for this. I hope I hope you enjoyed it. Um, next week we will be back with another traditional episode of Lead Singer Syndrome, just like we have had um, 
about like 160 or 170 times. So uh, yes, make sure you're subscribed and and, uh, tune in to that and um, hit me up and let me know what you thought of this. You can message me again, leadsingersyndrome at gmail.com. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram at Shane Told at leadsingersyndrome at leadsingersyn. Check out those as well. And of course, um, if you do like this and you want to do it again, uh, I'll open up the floor to everybody. This was just the people in the All Access Club that asked the questions this time, but it would be really cool to get, you know, obviously some more opinions and more perspectives from other people. So uh, let me know if you like this. And, uh, and of course, a big thank you to everybody that submitted a question. And uh, I love y'all. Uh, here's the last question. Hey, Shane, it's Nikki Bina. I Hi, have Nikki. just one question. Where are my girls at? No, seriously. Mm-hmm. Like, why are women so underrepresented in the scene? There are some amazing vocalists, like in punk and metal, and we've seen them. But if you really want to hear more than a few, you have to go to pop or country. So what do you think? Mm-hmm. Is it a lack of interest from the girls wanting to sing certain genres? Do you think it's a lack of interest from the labels? I mean, is it just that the media doesn't give them the same attention as they do men? I'd like to know what you think. So where are the girls? Thanks, man. Have a good night. Thank you, Nikki, for the question. And um, I know what you mean, you know. I I, I mean, I guess you could say it not just about vocalists, but about, you know, um, all members of bands. It is male-dominated. I I don't know if I know the reasons why. Um, And... With this podcast, you know, I'm I'm constantly trying to get female guests, and uh, I, I love when I'm able to. But you're right; they're underrepresented, especially you know in these this kind of scene. I don't have a lot of pop and country artists on this show. I've actually never had a country artist. It would be cool, but uh, yeah, you you make a great point, and I mean, I think. Uh, I think now there's some awareness um, around that. And that's the first step, I think, in making some positive changes is is at least realizing it. And I think for a long time, people didn't realize. Some people didn't care. Uh, so I think it's uh, it definitely is a step in the right direction. And uh, I mean, there's some absolutely incredible women in this scene. I mean... Jenna from Tonight Alive or Haley Williams, um, two of the the greatest performers that there are, um, you know, in this style of music. So I'm I'm absolutely um, with you on this, and I I really do thank you for the question. Well, that about does it, I guess. So the first ever Lead Singer Syndrome mailbag, mail message, voicemail, whatever you want to call it, episode is in the books, and uh, thank you very much for that. Now, I got to play some kind of tunes, and and I'm not really sure exactly what to play, but I think I'm going to go with a couple Silverstein short songs. So here are two that we did. They're both original songs, and they're both under 90 seconds. Here's Brookfield, followed by One Last Dance. Thank you very much for listening. Peace and love, and we'll see you next week week.